0: Thank you you very much for joining our class tonight. We are in Parsha's Massey. And for anybody who knows what I've been like obsessing about since Pesach, uh, Israel and the diaspora are finally joining back together. Yay! So this is, this is in, in the diaspora since Pesach, since Passover, they've been one Torah portion behind us. This week, we finally are meeting up. There's been, I've been doing a lot, a lot of research. My kids are like, mom, why do you care? Like, what? Just get over it. Like, it doesn't matter. But it's been a bug in my head. Like, we had so many opportunities to join together before now. And clearly, the the, the Chachamim who were making the decisions didn't share my same sense of sensibilities. And I'm like, it's fear time. We should have achdas. We should get together. We should all be united. And they're like... It's not happening now. It's not happening now, and in, they so so in many years, in many years when this happens, the, it, the the Torah portions come together before Shavuot, okay? So that we go into receiving the Torah as one. This year, and many times, it comes together. This Matos and Masi join together, and that is really so because for Av, when we come into that place of destruction, where we're fighting that place of of sens- senseless hatred and everything, that we come together for that space. Now, I don't know why some years it's like this and some years it's like it's like this, because it's definitely not uniform. Mm-hmm. And and like the like the Chabadnik community is like, couldn't we get together and have the have the Abbas Israel earlier? Like, we need it early. But I was not in charge of making these decisions. But yay, so first of all, Torah portions are joined together this week. So in the diaspora, they're going to be reading and learning Matos and Masé, a double portion. Here in Israel, we only have Parshas Masé. And we also have, we finished the whole book of Bamikba. Got a lot of stuff over here. We got a lot of stuff going on over here. Also, in the public service announcements, tonight and tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. Oh, that's what i my doing. Sorry. Huh? So, so, uh, so we have that to touch on a little bit. Um, and, and that's kind of like a, a, another big one. Okay, let's start with the parsha. the parsha. We are not dealing with a double Parsha, uh, even though we didn't learn last week. And there's so many amazing things here, but I know that if we start trying to do two Torah portions, even, and one is not even ours this week, we're never going to get any place we're not doing last week. Just saying it was a really awesome Parsha, lots of fun stuff. Okay, Part, we start Perak Gimel, chapter 33. And the first two aliyahs of the Parsha, the Parsha is called Masay, travels, journeys, in the plural. And the first thing that we do is that we count... A li- there's a list of all the places that the Jewish people stopped on the way when they left the land of Egypt, okay? And it says, it's a little bit of a boring list. I mean, it's not a boring list. Like, you have to study it. to understand what's going on? Um, and basically what happens is it says, these are the journeys, these are the journeys of children of Israel when they left Egypt with Moshe, and Moshe writes it all down, and it starts in verse 3. They left Ram, Ramses on the first day of the, fifth, uh, on the first month of the 15th day, blah, 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 blah. They go, they leave. And then, blah, 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 continues, and then it says, they left from Ramses, and they, they camped in Sukkot, on I mean, verse 5, and verse 6. They left from Sukkot, and they camped in Etam. That's on the side of the Midbar. And it goes 42 times, and it does that. It says, and they left this place, and they arrived at this place. And then they left this place, and they left this, and they left this place. It gives us, I was going to say no, but the truth is, it gives us almost no information about any of the, the places. Really, it's just, we left and we came, we left and we came, we left and we came. The only thing which I think is very interesting is that every time there is a water issue, it gets me- it gets mentioned. The place where they they went and they needed the tree they had, they had they had tr- uh, water and palm trees. That gets mentioned. Uh, the waters of strife with Moshe that gets mentioned. Otherwise, okay, and Aaron dying, aren't passing away like that. Like this very, it's, there's no idea what happened, what's going on. Yes. Do
1: you think that has something to do with how?
0: Um, they threw all the babies into the River Nile because they thought that Moshe would, would die because of water? Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's plausible. Um, I haven't seen it, so I can't agree or disagree with you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good theory. Um, something that also, based on learning, but not something I've actually seen, so I can point to you to the exact source, is that we know that when we talk about water, we always talk about Torah. And so something about these water issues is also gonna somehow refer to some kind of level of Torah or learning of Torah that went on there. Again, it's, it's just my kind of intuitive thought process based on what I know I haven't actually seen in any place. I think it's interesting that the only thing he talks about is water. Now you're right, going in the desert, Water is a big issue, but like, there's lots of stuff that happened to the Jews in the desert. We don't have any of that stuff. We don't have spies. We don't have golden calf. Like, there's a lot of big stuff that happened. We don't have any of that stuff referenced, only the water. The other thing I want to talk about, uh, when I ta- the other thing I want to mention is this. One of the things that the Torah does not give us here is how long they stayed in any of these places. It just tells us, they came and they left, and they came they left this place and they came here, and they left this place and they came here, and they left this place and they came here. So it doesn't tell us. But one of the things we know from other sources is that they did not, you know, two things didn't happen. We talk about the Jews being in the desert for 40 years. They weren't constantly moving. That's one thing we know for sure. And they also... uh, um, Meaning there were certain places, there was one place I forgot, where, where they stayed I think for 15 years or 17 years. There was one stop they stayed a very long time. Um, but, and this is, this is, you know, when we first moved to Israel, sort of, it, it will make sense. When we first moved to Israel, we ended up moving a lot of times. Like we weren't settled in an apartment. We were in one apartment for a year and another apartment for a few months. It was very it was well gone. When I finally got an apartment that we were able to rent for five years, the first thing I did was I planted flowers. Okay, I probably killed a lot of them. I got, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not so good. But that was what I wanted. To, and, I, and when I did that, I was thinking, you know what? The Jews never had that ability to plant flowers. They never knew on the outset, we're going to be here for this long. They could have been there for a day. They could have been there for a week. They could have been there a month. They could have been there for 15 years. They didn't know. So, you know, when you come to, when you're traveling, you go to a hotel, if you're there overnight, No, but if you're there overnight, you are not have to unpack your whole suitcase, right? But if you're there for a longer amount of time, like So, like, that that space of how settled are we, they never had. In retrospect, you would say, oh, we were there a really long time. So, one of the things we talk about is that the Torah could only be given to the people, to this generation, where they were eating manna, which was, again, that place of total faith of going to sleep with no food in your house. Do you know what I mean? Like, that place of relying, just kind of, really, just following God... Wherever you are, wherever you want me to be, that's where I'm going to be. And that's really what the Masa are. that's what the travels are, that they, they just were following God. It wasn't what I think we should do, where I think we should be, I think we should stay here longer. It was none of that. And, and taking that, being able to live with that place, I just want to say, wow. Cause I couldn't do that. I, I, it's just like it's it's such a place of uncertainty within the stability of we have Moses, we have the mana, we're like whatever we're doing. Like, but that place of uncertainty is a very very hard place to, to really settle in. And I think that we have to like acknowledge that, acknowledge that place of living. You know, we think oh in the desert, everything was great and amazing and whatever. Then have to do laundry and then have to do blah blah blah, right? But that place of living with that space of uncertainty. Maybe it's just a 2022 thing. It's a very uncomfortable, a very uncomfortable place to be. How long are we tell? Give me an approximate. How long are we going to do this for? How So they didn't have that. The other thing that's very important is that the first thing that the Jews did wherever they were was
1: no,
0: so they set up the Mishkan. The first thing they did was they set up the Tabernacle. Now it was not a small job to set up the Tabernacle. Um, it took five thousand Levites to. Put that thing up and take it down. And the first thing they did, they didn't know. It wasn't like, oh, we're only here for a week. It doesn't really matter. We're only here overnight. No, wherever they were, the first thing that they did was they set up a home for God. And that is a very, very important lesson for us. Um, because wherever we are in life, and I'm going to, t- I'm going to pause a second. I'm going to, the Baal Shem Tov tells us that the 42 journeys of that of the, we talk about of the Jewish people, it reflects three different things. A, it reflects a person's day. You have 42 stations from when you say moda'ani, when you wake up in the morning till you go to sleep at night. You have these journeys that we're constantly doing. It's also reflective of our of our lifespan from when you're born until you pass away and the, the way it kind of different places and we're in different things and if we had more time, we'd discuss all the places and what happened there and what does it mean and all the Kabbalistic and spiritual stuff. We don't have time for that, shockingly enough. And the other thing that the Baal Shem Tov talks about is that it, it reflects Jewish history. We have times of more stability, less stability, that whole 42 journeys from when we leave Egypt till we get not to the land of Israel. Remember, journey 42 takes us to the borders of the land of Israel. It does not take us in. It just gets us to the precipice and from here you need to step into Israel. So, these are all things like I I think it's like so powerful for us to understand whether I'm talking about my daily life, whether I'm talking about my journey in life, if we want to be like, you know, if we want to take less responsibility we say, oh, and the Jewish people, the journey of the Jewish people is like, you know, what state you know, where are we, what are we doing and what are we up to, but for myself to understand, like, it's we're not static things don't stay the same all the time, we're constantly moving, we're constantly changing, and we need to be able to like we need to just kind of flow with it a little bit, so that like, we understand, like This was okay for now. This is not okay. Like, to keep being able to move forward is a very, very, very important thing. And the most important thing, whether we talk about our day or our year or our life or however I'm saying it, wherever we are, we are there because God has something for us to do there. We are never someplace with no no purpose. Now, we often don't know what the purpose is, right? We often don't know. And so, therefore... We go straight to like our phones and our thing, and we don't realize the time that we're using that maybe we should be doing something. Wherever we are, God directs us purposefully, whether we end up stuck in an airport, have an overnight someplace that we didn't expect, what, wherever it is, the first question we really need to ask ourselves, besides where's the bathroom and can I get a coffee, <laughs> um, is what does God want of me now? what am i here for sometimes we know exactly what we're here for and sometimes we think we're here for this but really god wants us here for this um in our jobs where we're going or doing whatever it is that we're doing and we think this is the reason that we're here we're here to be a graphic designer we're here to be a teacher we're here to be something but maybe the point that god wants us in any of those places is to be a shining example of what a person who follows God looks like. And where those ripple effects go, we should have our eyes open to say, what does God want of me here and now? And that's a very, very powerful thing. So that's another thing I want to say. And the third thing that I want to say, that the, word, the name Mase is a plural form. I said in the beginning. It doesn't say the journey of the Jewish people when they left Egypt because we don't have one journey in life. And we know that, you know, if you've been in a Hasidist class more than once, that you've heard the example that that Egypt, Mitzrayim, is Metzar, It's a place of constriction, constriction. It's this. Egypt is a place that does this to us. And what happens is we are constantly leaving that place of tightness, that place of, oh my gosh, I have to get out of here. This is no good for me. And what happens is there's not a, a stable timeline like... I start doing a new mitzvah. I start trying on a new something. Be careful with how I speak or whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever mitzvah you want to try, right? And it's like new and it's exciting and it's amazing. And then at some point, even that mitzvah is going to be like, oh, I've kind of reached the borders of this experience. Not that I stop it, but this is old hat for me. And where am I moving? Am I moving? Am I constantly growing in my service of Hashem? Or... Where, you know, I wanted to be a ballerina when I was three years old and I had to move from there. Is that what my relationship with God looks like? And, and, the, and the Massey, every single time we leave, whether we're leaving from Ramses, we're leaving from or we're leaving from Mitzrayim, we're actually leaving from a place that is holding us back. And we're going to go to a place that becomes, that's our new expansive place. We're going to Eretz Tov or Chavah. Or we're going to a wide open space. And then all of a sudden, that open wide space isn't so open and wide anymore, you know. It's become so much part of us. It isn't this whoa anymore. And we know we don't live at a whoa experience of life all the time. It's const- It's like a it's like an ebb and flow that's going on. But the place of understanding that every single time we get to that place of like same old, same old, that's our message that it's time to move. And the journeys were not the same. Like I said, some places they stayed for a week and some places they stayed for many, many years. And sometimes we think, I'm going to start doing something and I'm going to like, it's going to like be so part of me so quickly and maybe not, maybe not. You need to like sit with our growth. We need to sit with where we're moving and we need to sit with it. And when we start to feel, oh yeah, like that little edgy thing, that's, Time to move. And that's why we have Ma we have multiple journeys because in our in our life, please God, we are constantly journeying, journeying and constantly growing and developing as people, as women, as Jews, all of those things we need to constantly be developing. And this is my bracha to us, my first bracha, that we should make those moves out of choice. We should be able to say, I need to move, I need to change, and not be so stuck in our place that we need to get, like, this kick in our pants before we're like, okay, I'm moving, I'm moving, right? We should really be able to make those moves, those forward moves, from a place of roga, from a place of calm, from a place of choice, from a place of reaching forward and not running away. So that's my first bracha for all of us. Amen. Okay, we, get, we did the first 12 years. We are doing great. <laughs> we are doing great. Okay, um... So the second Aliyah, we've, uh, okay, the second Aliyah picks up, it's very, very short, the second, it's chapter 33, verse 50, Rashem tells Moshe to tell the Jewish people that as you're crossing the the Jordan to the land of Canaan, and you should, uh, you should, you should chase out all the people who are in there. You should destroy their idols. You should uh, destroy their, their places of worship. And then you should set, you'll should you settle know, peace on the land. And the third aliyah starts talking about dividing the land, which we touched on in a different Torah portion. It's the end of chapter 33. It talks about how they divided the land, which I think we just, dis- did we, I feel like we discussed this here, dividing the land.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right, we did
0: discuss it. Okay. So here it's, again, going to have that idea of dividing the land. An interesting thing that I was thinking about, and I don't have an answer, so maybe I shouldn't ask questions I don't have answers to, but I'm going to raise a question. Um, when the Jews originally divided the land, right? They divided the land of Israel for 12 tribes. And then, this is, we were in, the, in this Torah portion we talked about two weeks the ago. The sisters? No, before the sisters. Um, the drawing. The the tribes of Reuben and God come... Oh, that was last week. We missed it. They didn't want to go in. The tribes of Reuben and God didn't want to go in, right? And so in the end, Moshe gives them land to inherit on the other side of the Jordan River. And I was wondering, and I I don't know, like, was that part of the original division? Or do they now have to re-divide because we had land allotted for Reuben and God in the main...
1: Does that make it part of the like, I mean, Israel. Israel So no, so that's an, because Hashem doesn't judge people based off future like
0: actions. No no what I'm saying is the first time they have this conversation, we're going to the land of Israel, and these are the borders, and this is where we're going, and divide it up into twelve parts for each of the twelve tribes, right? Um and then so they do that, and then Reuben and God say, We don't want to go there, we wanna stay on the other side of the the other side of the Jordan. So now
1: Half Do we
0: now have to redivide the 12, so make it 10 and 2? Yes. Or, like, that wasn't part of the original, that wasn't part of the original borders. Or they, it was land they that they captured. So I don't know the answer. I'm just raising questions. If it keeps me up at night, it should keep you up at night as well. <laughs>
1: so, okay. What about, like, the half of Menashe? Like, does that mean that, like, now, like, the other
0: half of Menashe is going to, like, live? Have a smaller, has, have right, a smaller territory, yeah. yes. They're, the tribe of Menashe is now going to be split. And half is going to be here, and half is going to be there. So, or
1: are they going to all have to come to that half that's actually
0: in Israel? No, 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 no. They went. So, when Reuben and God end up asking for their, their section, Moshe actually adds. All of a sudden, we have the half a tribe of Manasseh showing up. And part of the reason we have is that Moshe took, a, took took made two decisions when he gave them that land. That one, they couldn't be by themselves because there was for whatever reasons that they were choosing to be on that side of the Jordan. They needed to have somebody there who was gonna pull them back to the mainland. So we took a tribe that was proven that they loved the land of Israel. The daughter of Yitzchelah had come from Manasseh. So we take half of Manasseh, which is A, a big tribe, and B, has proven that they love the land of Israel. And so there's people who are gonna be coming back to. They're going to be coming back to the mainland for like weddings and bar mitzvahs and Pesach seders and like whatever, the whole shebang. So they're going to schlep them as well. Instead of them being so isolated and being their own thing, there was going to be somebody that had family ties back in the land of Israel. Okay. So that's where Menashe shows up. Right. But, the, but the land, so Menashe now has two portions one on that side of the Jordan and one on this side of the Jordan. Yeah. And so that's why. No, I
1: know. So I was asking, that. that's why I assumed you were asking, like, what happens if they move like, in? And God. And God, right? yeah. Because, like, I thought you were asking for, like, when the Mashiach comes and everyone goes back to Israel and appoints your tribe, you have that land now.
0: Hmm. Once, that line, once that land gets allotted to them, it becomes part of. Israel? Part of Israel. So yeah. What's your yeah.
1: Question?
0: My question is in Israel proper, when they divided it, do they now have to redivide it? Like, we spent all this time dividing the land and now we have to redivide it. No, 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 no. But did but they
1: not to be in the land?
0: Because that wasn't part of the original division. Whatever. It's but, just. Was I don't, want to, divided, I don't I want to spend more time on it. Away. I don't want to spend more time on it. What?
1: Was it divided before they arrived? Like yes, 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 so yes, 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 yes. Do you think yes. when Mashiach comes that that's going to be part of it? Like that part of Jordan? It's going to be part
0: of it. I, I would say, but do you remember that the that the, border, the biblical borders of Israel way is way bigger. Bigger, bigger and way different. They go up to Lebanon. They go up to Lebanon all the way into Le- It's like yeah. a whole different division. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? We're going to wait and see. And I'll say, oh, that's what it looks like. I have no idea. Should
1: we be conquering that land
0: no, not unless you, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I know, I'm no, like, but no, no, I understand, and I'm, and I say, I'm saying, like, we aren't, we might be individually living messianically, and that would be a really great thing if we were actually living consciously and saying, what does God want to me, and living our lives with the values that we feel bring us to, like, a better state, and with no jealousy and no competition and blah blah blah, all those good things, right? But do we? Does that mean that we are in a, a position today to act on, you know?
1: Well, what about giving up land? What about land for peace?
0: That's 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 a really bad idea. That's a really bad idea. That hasn't worked in the last fifty years. I don't know why anybody thinks it's still going to work. It's it, the Ramam talks a lot about. It's interesting. The realm talks about and. I'm going to digress just because you asked the question. Making peace with your neighbors, mm-hmm. and the wrong woman. I don't. It's. It's. In, I think in the, in the end, where he talks about the laws. I don't remember where it is exactly. I don't quote it. And he talks about that if they come to your main cities and they ask to make peace, you can make peace with them. But if they come to border cities, mm-hmm. you're not even allowed to give them straw if they ask for it. I might be misquoting it exactly. A border city has a different um, designation than something in the center. Because the border like, will start chopping off pieces. Mm-hmm. And the safety, the physical safety of the people starts by how strong the borders are. Mm-hmm. And if we don't protect the borders and the border cities, then right. then, then, it's, then, it's, then it's a physical safety issue for the people who live here. And then that, that's a whole different conversation now. Right. We if we if we were in the first round of this rodeo, and we were talking about it, the Rev has been screaming, was screaming, screamed at it for years, years, not to give away land, mm-hmm. not to give away land, and unfortunately, we're not the first round of this, and we see that it has not led to peace with any of our with any of our neighbors. Any place that we gave land away, it did not make the place more secure and the people safer. Mm-hmm. Don't ask them what the solution is. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know what the solution is. But I know that Land for Peace has not proven yes. to work then, well. Yes. And
1: then you are saying that, like, we shouldn't conquer. So then, like, in, in the 60s, so I'm digressing. I've been just I'm also thinking about it. Like, we should see on yesterday. Yeah. But, um, like, 67, when we got back, like, we conquered more land.
0: Well, we were attacked. No,
1: of course. We, we never, like, attacked first. We
0: were, it was a preemptive, but it was, yeah. Yeah,
1: so then, like, would you say that that was,
0: like, Right. That was a gift from Hashem, and we should say thank you, Abishar. No, I, I think <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely.
1: also retaking something that was taken away. That's right, okay, but technically, it's not like if it we're going 11, 11, on, I'm going to Lebanon and not taking something, but it's technically also quite. No, a no, lot. no. Okay,
0: so I want to say I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing about the borders of Israel because it's relevant for because it, it's relevant for lots of mitzvahs that we do. Yeah. Um, the borders of Israel are constantly in fluctuation. Biblical, what Hashem promised Abraham, what they conquer with Joshua, all the way through. Now, when the Jews, the first settlement, we have the first temple period, and we have the Jews have expanded under King Solomon and the whole tribe situation, there's a certain, they conquered, they, they settled and they lived in a lot of territory. When they were taken to the Babylonian exile, it says that the Kedusha left. All the holiness that was there left with the people. And when they came back, with Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back from Babylonia, with Ezra and Nehemia, it was a poor community, it was, it was, they had a lot, a lot of issues, and they were not able to settle that expansive place, and they settled much smaller territories, mm-hmm. and that territory that was settled by the, the Ole Bavel with Ezra and Nehemia, the, the returnees from Babylonia, that Kedusha never leaves. So all the mitzvahs that we talk about, the land of Israel, what, things that we do in the land of Israel, it has to do with the land that was recaptured by the people or resettled by the people when they came back from Babylonia, not what they had with Solomon, but what they had with Ezra and Nehemia. So
1: How similar is that to Israel's borders today?
0: Much. It's smaller. It's smaller. Today,
1: Israel is smaller still. Okay. No,
0: no. Today, Israel is bigger than those than Ezra and Nehemiah borders.
1: So then, if you're in today's Israel, which but does isn't like, like let's say like, I'm giving an example, like let's say Haifa, but maybe that's
0: not. So not Haifa, but down, if you go, I mean, if you go south, okay. you go to, if you let's go, like the Aravah, the, the Aravah, which is like lower than Beersheba, uh-huh. most of that is not biblical Israel.
1: You're living so, there
0: and you're doing a mitzvah. Like, you don't if, do mitzvah You don't do not mitzvahs.
1: Not so you have like to keep eight?
0: Take it up with your rabbi. But I know that that's... But the laws that are mitzvot hat baaretz, things that we do, trumas and maestros, and, and shmita doesn't hold in those areas. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of produce that we use in the shmita year comes from the Aravah. It comes from, like, this, the, the more south part. It's still... It's medinat Yisrael. It's not Eretz Yisrael. Then so
1: why would it be so, problematic to...
0: Give that up. It's a safety. Now we're talking straight old safety. It's plain old safety. If anybody's been around and saw it happen, you know, with Oslo and Gaza, it, it's just not. It's a safety issue. It's a plain old safety issue. Last question. Please. Is it connected okay. to the parasha? I think to <laughs> Okay. Then ask me afterwards. <laughs> we're never going to finish. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> the next thing that we have, and this is a really interesting thing, um, in chapter thirty-four. Okay, the, sorry, chapter 34 starts with uh, borders, okay? It gives us borders of where you should, the, the borders of Eretz Israel, okay? And then the fourth aliyah tells us, I'm going to help us because it's all in Hebrew. Um, the fourth aliyah, which is from chapter 34, verse 16, um, it's a oh, ghost, no, here it talks about, again, back to the division of the land. And so it has the, the heads of tribes for each one. And then, in the fifth Aliyah, which is today's reading, we have a very, very uh, detailed conversation, the most detailed conversation we have in the Torah of the Ari Miklat, of the cities of refuge. So there's actually two parts of this conversation. Oh, no, sorry. This Aliyah, Hamishi, sorry, it's not true. Hamishi talks about, I'm sorry, I don't give you this information. The Hamishi talks about, of each one of the 12 tribes had to set aside cities for the Levites, the Levites do not get any land, so they have to be given some land. So every single tribe designated six cities in their, in their, in their uh, borders that were tribes for the Levites. So the Levites were really spread out across everybody. Interesting little, little. Uh, I think it's interesting is that every single city of the Levites had to have a green belt around it. There was a a, a measurement. I think it was like a mile. It's not a mile. It was a kilometer of green around the city that had to not, was not allowed to be cultivated. had to be left green so that there was green space around every single city, which I thought was...
1: Why don't the Levites get their own
0: land? Because they work for God. Okay. The Levites don't get the land. They work for God. Okay, then the sixth Aliyah, we start having this conversation of the cities of refuge. Now, Moshe is going to establish three cities of... Yeah, say that quickly five times. Three cities of refuge on the eastern side of the Jordan where he is in the tribes of Reuven and Gad and the half of Manasseh, They're going to have three cities of refuge there. There are going to be three cities of refuge that are going to be established once again into the land of Israel. Okay? And when Mashiach comes, we're supposed to get three more cities of refuge. Why will we need? Right? Why we're going to need it. And why are the green cities? Green the green...
1: It's to keep it beautiful. But why just the Levite
0: cities? Because everybody else is farmers. Do what you want. Like, like, there's going to be space. There's going to be green. But the, but the place of a city and put some of them are walled cities, uh, you know? We, we live in Jerusalem. Like There's a lot of concrete around, you know? And that idea that there is this green belt around is, is a very, I think is very, it's worth highlighting. Okay. Do you
1: think Hashem would want it to be so much concrete? <sighs> <laughs>
0: I don't think I'm qualified to answer what Hashem wants.
1: I was thinking when Mashiach comes, are they going to take down some of this concrete and add some greenery? Or are we going to be living like sardines here?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I want, I, I'm, I'm curious how, I'm curious how so it's going to. going to
1: expand so much. Mm-hmm. going to
0: like, I know, but everybody's still going to want to be here. Did you ever notice that in yeah. Jerusalem, if you go along any main street, the street name changes right six now. times? <laughs> I asked the taxi drivers, like, well, everybody wants the street, oh, ma- street okay. name in Jerusalem. Like, that's not helpful. Okay, I, okay, I want to I I say three. I want to address Lavana's question because I think it's very important and it's something I want to talk about. Shh. Stick with me a second. Okay, each, so you have six cities. You're going to have six cities of refuge. Three are going to be on that side of the Jordan. Three are going to be in the main in main. The, exactly they have two and a half exactly Rashi's like why is this disproportionate clearly those are more aggressive people and yeah. there's a lot more killing on one <laughs> side and then on the other I want to say some interesting things about city of refuge first of all it doesn't make so much sense to us today but in biblical times the streets the roads leading to cities of refuge were the only streets that were wide and clear and kept clean like you just imagine like in, in, you know, we're not talking about paved, like everything's paved, right? But the cities of refuge were very, very, very clearly marked and they were very, very wide and they were very well lit and they were very well taken care of. What is a city of refuge? a city A city of refuge is for somebody who kills another person inadvertently, by mistake, negligence, whatever, you run to a city of refuge and in that place you literally take refuge and you are protected from any first degree relatives who are now boiling, their blood is boiling and they want to kill you because you killed their relative. So if you're in the city of refuge, you are, it's like being, you know, you ever play tag with your siblings and you hold on to, you hold on to your parents, you know, like, I'm safe now. Cities of refuge is I am safe. I can't be touched there. From there, a person will be taken to court for a trial and the vertical come down of whatever different things depending on the situation. Um, okay, so that's as, as I want to I, I want to talk about it a little bit more, but give me a second. Um, so we have six designated cities of refuge. They also are cities of the Levites, meaning the Levites have within their within their if twelve. Tribes give you six sections. Give you give you six uh six cities. That's forty eight. No, there's more. So somebody's math is better than mine. Twelve tribes, six cities.
1: Seventy two.
0: 72. 72. Thank you. Of those seventy two, six are officially design. Yeah, yeah. Every six are officially designated as cities of refuge. Okay, three on that side, three on that side. Of the any any. Besides the designated cities of refuge, any city of the Levites would receive somebody who was running for their life because they had inadvertently murdered somebody. Okay? They, they would be acting cities of refuge without actually being cities of refuge. Now. I'm so lost. What? I'm so lost. There are, yes, six, there are six official cities of refuge. Yes. They happen to also be the cities where the Levites live. And the Torah tells us that all the cities that the, where the Levites live, even if they are not specifically designated as cities of refuge, would act as cities of refuge. Okay. Now, uh, remind me. I have to get back to your question. An interesting thing. Now, so let's say somebody goes to to they go they have their trial and the trial decry- the they decide that this person needs to go back to the city of refuge. Okay. Sometimes if it's Premeditated murder and witnesses and the whole shebang—they would be killed. But if they have to go back to the premed—if it's an accident, then blah blah blah. All—I'm the- not getting into the details of the- of how the court cases work. They go back to the city of refuge. How long do they go for? Until the Kohen Gadol died. Yeah. So they- yeah. you go to a city of refuge until the Cohen Gadol passes away. Now, I want to tell you something very interesting. If you killed somebody in the first temple period, you were in trouble. Mm-hmm. the first temple stood for 410 years I think they had 28 high priests a very small number they, they, this high priest in the first temple period served for years, 50, 60 70 years people were, were high priests okay Huh? If you in the first temple period if, you are, if you're in this city of refuge until the high priest dies in the first temple period you were probably out of luck because a high priest served for many, many 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 years. 50 years was easy. They had very few cities or, they had very few high priests. In the second temple period, which was stood the second temple stood for 420 years, they had I think I think I'm, I might be getting the number wrong, but I'm gonna be off by like 10 or 15. I think they had like 280 high priests, including one who was a high priest for 80 years, one who was a high priest for 16 years. like there were a couple of like, which means that those high priests, they were like, every year, they were coming and going. And it's interesting that the Talmud tells us that the corruption in the Second Temple period was such that people who were not worthy of being a high priest would buy the rights to be the high priest so that they could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And they knew it was going to kill them.
1: Wait what? Oh, they used to
0: buy, used to buy the rights to be the Kohen God oh, It was so, so corrupt. corrupt. The, the corruption was terrible. That if you Robert think corruption was so corrupt,
1: go into the. Bing, Bing,
0: Bing, Bing, Bing. And the, and a, the so Rebbe says, the Rebbe says, says multiple die. times, look at what they wanted to spend their money on. They wanted to have one chance of this intimate space with God, knowing it was going to kill them. Like you say, how corrupt could they have been if that's really what they're spending their money on? They're not buying another yacht and another house. They're buying the rights to be the high priest. So for the purpose of our conversation. If, if you're not worthy of going into the Holy police it will kill you within I the year. If
1: you're
0: not no, no, if you're not worthy to go in. I don't know.
1: How do you know if you're worthy?
0: Well, if you go in and you drop dead, you're probably not worthy. <laughs> There there, there it's interesting there's a there's a I always heard that the, te- the situation in the second temple period was so bad that they tied a string to the foot of yeah. the coin guddol so they they to put right. what I they yeah. no no they it's a second they
1: ten-
0: t- the second No so I'm telling you that it's it was only talked about for the second temple period because it was such a bad situation nobody was allowed to go into the holy of holies to take the high priest out so if he went in and he died, then how would he get him out? Now, I will say that when I went to the Temple Institute in the old city where they do a lot of research on the temple and the vessels and everything, they say it's, it's, it's not true because having something tied to his foot would constitute another article of clothing, and they were not allowed to wear anything besides what man. they're designated. That's what they say. I don't know. I've always oh, heard it. Yeah, yeah. That, they got a stick. I don't know. I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the information that I have. Do with it the way you want. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. And they just like leave them there for the next year. They no, to no, they can't. Yeah, no, no, just <laughs> just like right? Hey, <laughs> had a question? Um, how many uh high priests were there during the time
1: of the Second Temple?
0: Two hundred and eighty something. I don't know the I don't know the exact number of well we can go, we can Google it afterwards and find out. Was it, um, like you said the second period was
1: like four hundred years four hundred and twenty like, years. Wasn't it like seventy years? The Seventy exile?
0: years of the exile. The first temple stands for four hundred ten years. Seventy years of exile. Second temple stands for four hundred twenty years. We're still in exile now. Yes. Is counting. this to do
1: with the partial? Or are we done yeah, no,
0: no, no, no. We're back to the city of refuge. That means if somebody killed somebody in the second temple period, they were going to get out of jail very quickly. Yeah. Right. In the first temple, in the first temple, it was a like a lot longer thing. Um, and what's interesting, in the, in, in the, and the and the sages talk about this. Like what kind of what kind of punishment is it to say go to the cities of refuge, like what is that like, go to the with the Levites. huh? So it's not prison. So it's not really prison. You're gonna hang out with the Levites, but but you are taking about but you are taking. I don't know. I, I, there's the, there's a difference of opinion on it. Maybe
1: it's about chuba.
0: Well, I want to say something. It is a place. It is a place of tshuva. In general, punishment is punishment in the Torah is always gonna be. Kaparat. It's always going to be an atonement for the person. So, and this is where the question is: If I go to a city of refuge because I did something inadvertently, how can a, the question is how can you send somebody go to the go to the city of refuge till the high priest dies? What does it mean, like? It, it, you're getting two to seven. Like, what, what kind of sentence is that? Till the high priest dies. And in fact, the Talmud tells us that the mother of the Kohen Gadol used to go around to the cities of refuge and feed the people so they wouldn't pray for her son to die. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah right? It reflective. Like, the Kohen
1: Gadol was representing, like, the entire, when, you know, their existence. Like, I it reflective. Like, they were so corrupt. It so reflected on the people. Like, Correct. Just, like, yes. We're yes. all affecting each other without knowing that we are some kind.
0: Absolutely. So here specifically, here specifically, one of the things that we talk about is that the Kohen Gadol is spiritually responsible for everybody under his his watch, everybody who's alive during his, everybody who's alive under you know during his time. So they actually, the Gemara actually said they didn't tell the Kohen Gadol if somebody killed somebody because they didn't want him to be like to feel guilty about it, but they would tell his mother so oh she could do something to protect him. It was interesting. But but the place of, is the Kohen, Kohen Gadol responsible for it? Is the place, and one of the things, the beautiful things that I saw was that when the Kohen Gadol passes away, um, uh, somebody who is killed before their time, um, their soul is a little bit in limbo. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the Kohen Gadol would die, he's, he would take all those Limbo, soul. Limbo souls up with him so the, the murderer doesn't get respite if the person that they killed doesn't have respite so that's kind of where they're talking about a spiritual connection but it's a weird thing but it's a weird thing what kind of sentence is till the Cohen Gondel dies it could be five minutes it could be, it could be 10 years it could be 50 years like, so, so the, the sages talk about the idea that when you talk about uh, something that I can prove I can quantify you did this intentionally you have witnesses I know how to judge that when it's talking about how you feel about a situation and how, how much intent did you have versus how much negligence did you have, only God knows the answer. And so that when God has somebody sent to the city of refuge, he's like, I'm going to make sure that they get what's coming to them. And that's kind of like, we're leaving the ultimate punishment up to God. Um, but Levada's question of like, why are we going to need cities of refuge when we get to... When we when we when Moshiach comes, we can also ask that same question: Why do we need cities of refuge in the land of Israel at all? If we had these forty-two journeys and we've kind of been growing and developing and perfecting ourselves, all we're going to do is step into the land of Israel and it should all be great. It should all be fantastic. What do you mean we still need cities of refuge? Well,
1: if someone kills someone by accident, they probably didn't want to kill them. Back.
0: I understand, oh, but I'm saying if we, you're at it, if we're at the spiritual stage of like, wow, mm-hmm. why would yeah. stepping into the land of Israel reset our button so that now there is a possibility for inadvertent murder? Oh, you hear what I'm saying? Asking. I don't. Does it only make sense in my head?
1: No, it makes
0: sense. So, so like that's, that. And then when Levana says, we say, and then when Mashiach comes, we need more cities of refuge. That really doesn't make sense. When Mashiach comes. There's supposed to be no jealousy and no competition and blah, 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 and everything's going to be wonderful. Like, why do we need more cities of refuge? Well,
1: that's where the living room. Maybe they
0: just need more place. So let them live. Why do, they need, why do they need me, this this inadvertent murderer, I'm coming into their city, and A, I don't pay rent. They have to take care of me. Some of the sages say that they actually are responsible for protecting the, the murderer, the inadvertent murderer, from anybody who's coming to try to... Like, it's not... It's like, it's, it's a big thing to have in the city. Like, so to say when Mashiach comes, we're going to need even more of that. Wow. That's, whoa. <laughs>
1: huh.
0: Let's think about that for a second, right? So um, one of the things that Chazidus talks about is that any kind of sin that we do is like murder. There is a place that any of them is like murder. Why? Not because we killed somebody, but because we took spiritual energy that was meant to be used for holiness and it didn't go no place. We sent it to unholiness. And so anytime we do something, there is a form of, so to speak, we don't really kill holy energy, but we are definitely misdirecting it. Um, and it's feeding places that are not so holy and are not so good, and that's where unholiness lives from. And and there are and there is this place that even if we aren't, you know, like the cities of refuge as cities of refuge is one thing, but I think for ourselves, the place of understanding that when we make a mistake, we need to figure out what is my city of refuge and where do I go to recalibrate and to recenter so that I don't make the same mistake. Now, we're not talking about, you know, we don't have to wait there till the colonel dies, but I think like that place of... of you know, if we say at the end of the day, we had our 42 our forty-two journeys for the day, and at the end of the day, we sit down and we say, what was my day like, and how did it go, and how do I want to tweak it for tomorrow? That part That's partially a city of refuge. And the prayer in the morning is a city of refuge. And the place of saying, how do I do it better, is a very, very powerful thing, and a very important thing to have incorporated into our, into our schedule. Now, there is a place that we're going to say, when Mashiach comes, it's all going to be, there's nothing to talk about anymore, there's nothing to be... I want to say that when we step into the land of Israel, the challenges change, but they don't go away. They don't disappear, and we see, look what happened to our history in the land of Israel. It should have been amazing and perfect and everything, but at the end of the day, we aren't perfect, and we aren't, you know, so we we have this, there is going to still be this need for... Correction and for doing things properly. And yes, there's going to be a situation of inadvertent murder, and all the stuff is going to happen. And in our day, in our space, we are always going to, for now, we're going to make mistakes. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is is there a way to turn back and to recalibrate? And one of the interesting things that the early, the the Rishonan talk about is that the first place that we get, the first person who was sent into a city of refuge was Adam and Eve. Because when they, they were told that the day you eat from this tree, you're going to die. And then they ate from the tree, and then what happened? Didn't die. What happened, though? They got sent. They, they got kicked out. They got sent into exile. Cities of Refuge is going into exile. It's going into a place where we don't have our full freedom. We don't have our home base. We don't have our, our space. And Hasidic says that every single time we do, a, we do anything wrong... Even if you say Adam and Eve, they did it willfully, like they, you know, but because we know that a, a neshama always really wants to be connected to Hashem, anytime we do something wrong, there is a level that we're not doing it from our own volition. We, this, 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 our, our deepest wish is really to be connected to Hashem. Sometimes our deepest wish is covered up with lots of other stuff. It's covered up with all kinds of things that we like and whatever. And and so we get the city of place to take us back to the place of what we really want to be connected to and how we really want to be connected, and how we really want to be, do mitzvahs and do things. And the question of Mashiach, I'm only going to say this, I don't know for sure. There are stages in Mashiach coming. And I think that in the first stage, we're still, the, the Rambam talks about that the world is going to be exactly the same. Nothing's going to change. That means our nature isn't going to change that quickly. But there is a place where it's going to change in a later stage. And I think that one of the things that they spoke about a lot was living as if, living in this space as if Mashiach is here, living, how do we live in, a, in our own lives without competition and without jealousy and with kindness and with love and with forgiveness and with all those good things, how do we try to bring it into our lives here? That's our challenge. Um, and your mission, should you accept it, is uh, to step out, to step into our land of Israel, wherever it might be, whether it is the land of Israel, wherever it is that, you know, like they say on the airplanes, and if this is, you know, the, this is your stay or the next journey or wherever your journey takes you um, to step into it with understanding that Hashem has given us this place of tshuva, has given us this place of, for ourselves and to be able to be kind to other people and to uh, I lost my train of thought At this, yeah, and so that we should, we should figure for ourselves where our cities of refuge are and how do we come into a place that we get to sit and think and recalibrate where it is that we want to do um, I want to touch on for a second that we're closing the whole book. If anybody makes it to show this week, um, when we get to the last last pages, end. We we didn't get. We have the daughters of Tzlafrad again. We have their story here. The end, end. 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 Huh? Yeah, we have them. We have the daughters of Tlauchat here. The same story. The, the details of of Moshe Hashem telling Moshe to give them the, the land, and the end of the, the end of the book is Elaha Elaha Mishpatim Asher Beyond Moshe. And everybody's going to say... Everybody's going to say... You should be strong, you should be strong, you should be strengthened. So I want to give us a bracha. Um, At the end of every book we say this. So we're we're highlighting this place of this is our relationship with Hashem. These are the laws that Hashem gave Moshe on the the banks of the Jordan River. And I want to give us a bracha. If anybody makes it... if anybody makes it to show this week, we have the entire congregation shouting out to us to be strong, to be strong, and to be strengthened. And that is not something to be trivelled with. And if we make it to Shoal, I say that with like, yeah, we're making it to Shul. Or if we think about it even, um, where is something that I want to be strengthened in my stepping into my land of Israel? One thing that I want to be strengthened with in my stepping into the land of Israel, and when you come to shul, and you hear everybody saying, Chazak, Chazak, Vinit Chazek, they aren't only saying it to the whole community, they're saying it to us personally, that we have strength and we have the ability to step into what it is that we've chosen. So I want to give us a bracha, that we take the time to think about it, that we take the time, whether we make it to a Shoal or we don't make it to a Shoal, understand that this energy is being shouted to us and for us to say, One step that I want to do to strengthen my relationship with Hashem. Have an awesome rest of the week.